Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to be reading a pretty long passage out of 1 Corinthians. Um, Adam's going to read it in a moment. When he agreed to read the passage, I don't think he knew how much he was going to read. Um, but it's very important today that we read all of it because there's one theme, and that one theme weaves itself through. And, and if you don't read it all together once, you, it's going to be so hard to see it. And so Adam's going to read, but before he reads, the, the reason that I love these long scripture readings is because when Paul wrote this letter for, for the Corinthians, for the letter of 1 Corinthians, when he wrote it, he wrote it thinking they're going to hear this. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't write copies for everybody. He would have sent a messenger, and that messenger would have appeared before the church in Corinth and would have read them the letter all at once. And so 1 Corinthians 1 through 16 he would have expected the audience to be able to listen and follow his themes through the whole letter. Of course, they'd probably want to go back and reread parts and for clarification, but, but Paul's intent was for us to hear his words in these longer, longer messages. And so Adam is going to read 1 Corinthians 8.1 through 11.1 from the ESV right now. Thank you, Matt. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and better and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my worksmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only... Barnabas and I, who have no right to uh, refrain from working for a living, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, who, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, 
Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial, sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That is my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might have some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them, with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be aware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses and the in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, and we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down and ate and drank and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as most of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessings that we bless is it not our participation in the blood of Christ. The, blood that we, the bread that we break is it not our participation in the body of Christ, because there is one bread we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. 
are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? The food offered in, to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I apply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink with the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for, and for their sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If, our part, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Thank you, Adam. There, there's a simple question that, that comes at the end of all of this. Um, th- this passage, the theme throughout it is rights. What rights do we have as believers? And, and Paul's big idea as he goes through here is Paul builds a case for do you live like an entitled Christian or do you live as someone who looks more and more like Christ? And so we're going to do our best to look at that today. We're going to cover a whole lot of stuff, I mean, obviously. Um, but, but I want to challenge you as we start. In your Christian walk, do you live as an entitled Christian? Are you, are you someone who your rights as a Christian are something that you hold above all else? No one wants to say yes to this, but, but maybe in a moment of clarity, you might say, you know, maybe I am. Maybe I expect all the benefits of being a Christian, but I don't really walk the walk that should come with that. And others of you may say, well, Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt, grace is something we receive. It's not something we can earn. Good point. But do you live, do you live like someone who's received what we've received from Christ? Or do you live as someone who is entitled, who thinks, I have the right to this, I deserve this? Which way do you live? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, Lord, we thank you for Paul and for the letter he wrote, the First Corinthian church, a church that had so much division and divisiveness. They, they were all following whoever they wanted to live however they wanted. And we thank you that Paul said, remember the Holy Spirit. You didn't accept the gospel on your own. The Spirit empowered you to respond to the gospel. Remember the spiritual wisdom that comes from the Father that is the opposite of the wisdom of the world and live like it. We thank you that Paul challenged them that you need to be willing to judge each other in truth and in love. You, you need to be willing to challenge each other on the little things so that when big things happen, you have a culture where you hold each other to a higher standard in the Lord. Thank you for just your willingness, 
Lord, to, to use Paul as an as a instrument to talk to the First Corinthian church and that you've preserved that letter for us today, that as we talk about it today, we can glean information and your spirit will be working in this time. I pray that you would just speak through me, that it would be your spirit moving and that you would give us all ears to hear what you have to say. Um, and Lord, I pray for any here who are entitled, I pray that by the end of the day that this message would just break their hearts and, and, and not, not just break them, but, but melt them so that they can be formed into something that looks more and more like the heart of your son, Jesus. I pray for our time now. pray you would give me words to speak. And Lord, I, I pray you would not let me speak too softly because in the first service I did, but, but help me to speak with the firmness that you've laid on my heart. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, we're going to cover a lot, and we're going to start. There, the, if you remember the last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that, that the First Corinthians, or, or the Corinthian church in First Corinthians, they've written Paul a bunch of letters. He's responded, and now he's writing them back to clarify some specific points. One of the points was about marriage and, and just like, re, like interpersonal sexual ethics, interpersonal relationships. That's what we talked about last week. Um, and then another thing they asked about was they asked about food offered to idols. And, and the underlying thing that's happening is there are those in the Corinthian church who are going to the temples, the pagan temples, and they are eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. And they say, well, we know these idols are man-made. We know that. We have that knowledge. These idols are man-made. So is it really that big of a deal if we eat the meat from them? And this is probably the practice they were doing before they became believers. And so after they become believers, it's like, well, I like the meat here, so I'm going to keep eating here. And, and so, so this pattern emerges that some of them are doing that, and then other believers are saying, no, 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 you can't do that. And then still other believers are going into the, the temple, and they're eating the meat, and then they're, being, they're, they're thinking these idols are really, these man-made idols are actually gods, and they start to fall back into their old way of worship and reject the message of the gospel. And so there's a mess, and at the heart of the mess, you have these believers that possess knowledge that the idols aren't real, who are saying, why are my rights being taken from me by these stinking immature believers that can't understand that this idol is man-made? That's the heart of their conversation is, Paul, why can't I do what I want to do just because another believer is a little more immature? And so Paul responds, he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And then he says, this knowledge puffs up, and puffs up is, is, makes arrogant, but love builds up. So right away, Paul's response is like, well, you possess this knowledge. The quote, all of us possess knowledge, is something that they wrote to him in their last letter, most likely. And, and so he's saying, this knowledge makes you arrogant. Love instead builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now this should offer a warning to the Corinthians about everything that's about to happen because they're claiming knowledge. And Paul says if anyone imagined that he knows something, he does not yet know how he ought to know. It's like a warning sign. He goes on, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, some of the believers among you, through former association with idols, when they eat food, as they eat the food, is really offered to an idol, and their conscience 
being weak is defiled. So when they're eating this food, they're, they're following back into the old path, and you don't want them to do that. So remember, food will not commend us to God in the first place one way or the other. We're no be- worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But then Paul gives a warning. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? So even though you have the right to do this, if if a, a weaker brother or sister in Christ sees you doing that, they might follow the same way. And so by your knowledge, person with knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died... Thus, you are sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Finally, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. There's some clear assumptions in this passage. The, The first one is, it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. He's saying, you have the knowledge that when you eat these, you're right. There's not some... These are idols. They are man-made. So it's based on that knowledge, it is okay. As long as no weaker brothers or sisters see it. Because if they see it, they might see your example in sin, and then that might cause my actions to be sinful. Paul, Paul is telling them, if your actions lead another believer to sin, that, that's, that's a sin on you as well as on them. And, and so the first question we're going to ask today as we go and talk about entitlement and rights is, do you live in a way that avoids causing other believers to stumble? Do you live in a way that avoids causing other believers to stumble? It's, 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 a, it's a simple question, but, but there's a lot behind it. In, in the way that I walk, in the way that I live my life, I, one, one thing as a youth pastor that's really funny, um, when I go to meals... Um, especially with non-believers, if they know I'm a pastor, there's this weird thing about, do I pray? And it's especially weird, it's especially weird when, when it's someone who, like, objects to the gospel in the first place, and then it's like, well, do I pray and make them feel awkward, or do I not pray? But, but if I sat down to a meal with a non-believer and didn't pray, and a believer saw me and said, well, Matt's not blessing his food, does that mean that I've done something wrong? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, I usually, I pray and bless meals, and if I'm with someone who doesn't, I usually just bow my head quietly um, because I don't want to impose on them, but I also, I want to thank the Lord for what he's put in front of me. Um, but, but if I were to not bless the Lord before a meal, and a believer saw me and said, oh, that's terrible of Matt, I'm, or if they said, I'm never going to pray again when I eat, would that, would that be on me? I don't know. This is a hard one, but, but uh, do you live in a way that avoids causing other believers to stumble is kind of the point at the end of chapter 8. For all of these believers, there, there's this interesting picture that Paul starts to paint. There are weaker believers, and then there are other believers. And, and if you're one of those other believers, are, are you causing the weaker believers to stumble is kind of the, the tone of this. Now, church, what I want to tell you before we move forward is that the assumption at the end of chapter 8 If we stop here, if we stop here, we do a disservice to Paul's words. Because this point right here is wrong. This point right here is absolutely incomplete. It is not what Paul is trying to say. Paul is not worried, are you going to make another believer stumble? Paul has a bigger idea in mind. And and so chapter 8 
is uh, when we talk about knowledge that puffs up. In chapter 8, Paul is trying to validate the entitled Christians so that by the end of chapter 10, when he throws a haymaker at them, he knocks them down. It's gonna, I hope this is fun for you all. It's fun for me when I read it and get to see how Paul is like, yeah, you guys are good. You'll note he never uses the word strong in chapter 8. There's a reason for that. You'll note he uses the word weak a lot. There's a reason for that. Chapter 9 begins, Am I not free, Paul says? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least, to you, at least I am to you, Corinthian church, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You are the proof of the work the Lord has done in me in Corinth. So I, I want you to think about what we've talked about the last four weeks where Paul has intentionally made himself less. He talks about working with his own hands. He calls himself the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. He minimizes himself at every point. And now, going from talking about food offered to idols, he abruptly says, do you guys know who I am? We're talking about rights? We're talking about rights here? Well, if we're going to go with rights, and if we're going to talk in worldly wisdom, do you guys know who I am? I'm a pretty big deal. He goes on, um, over the course of this passage, he paints this picture. When I, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, Paul says? Who plants a, a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Pa- Paul starts to build this case. Do you remember when I was among you? I worked with my hands. When I was among you, I never asked for anything from you. When, there are those among you, if others share this rightful claim on you, that when they are among you, they ask you to feed them and, and to pay for them and support them, Shouldn't we have that right too, me and Barnabas and those who helped found your church? Nevertheless, Paul says, when I was among you, I never made use of this right. I never made use of this right. But, but we, Paul and others, endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. In the first 12 verses of chapter 9, Paul paints this picture that when, when I was among you, As an apostle, as someone who preaches the gospel in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there is a picture that the church should support those who are proclaiming the gospel vocationally. That is all the way through. And Paul talks about even in Deuteronomy, not just those working in the temple, but there's even passages that talk about for the oxen. When you're working an oxen and they're treading a grain, you take the muzzle off so that they can eat while they tread. Care for the oxen. Care for the worker underneath you. Care for the priest. Care for the person who is proclaiming the gospel. Paul starts to paint this picture. When I was among you, do you remember how I worked with my hands? You know why, church? He, he did that because he didn't want them to think he's just proclaiming the gospel to get money from us. He's just doing this so, so it's his... Like, you know, he's doing this for the money. He's doing this for, for the support, the food. But no, Paul says, I didn't do any of that because I was worried when I was among you. If I did that, you would be so distracted by that, it would become an obstacle. You're thinking, I'm just some guy like a fast talker trying to make a quick buck. But no, when I was with you those 18 months, I worked with my own hands. Even though I had the right to demand that you support me, I set that right aside. 1 Corinthians 9.15, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Corinthian church, I just want to make this clear. This is what Paul is saying. I want to make it clear. The point of this letter is not for you to take an offering and send it my way. 
the point of this, we're talking about rights. And, and I did not do that then, and I'm not doing that now, and I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And when Paul says my ground for boasting, he, he uses this language a lot in his writing. His ground for boasting is not, look what I have done, but it's look how the Lord has used me to win other souls to Christ. And I don't want to do anything that takes me away from that. I don't want to operate in a way, even the rights that I deserve, I don't want to use and live out the rights that I deserve because I don't want people to miss the the bigger idea. I don't want them to miss the bigger idea of the message of the gospel at all. And so I put aside my rights. I'm not writing you to remind you I have rights. I'm writing you to tell you, look at what I did. Look at how I gave up on these rights. He goes on, this is a very famous passage of Paul. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law, my, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This, I became like the Jew, I became like the Greek, I, I became like the, those under the law, I became like those not under law, I became like the weak. The, the idea here is not that Paul changes who he is. Not at all. And, and I want to clarify, I did not say this very well in the first service, but I'm going to say it very well now. Paul did not change the message of the gospel at all. If the gospel offended people, if the gospel became a barrier, then the gospel was a barrier. The gospel message did not change. The word of God did not change. But how he lived and operated among the people. When he was among the Jews, Paul, we know that Paul at some point figured out, I'm allowed to eat whatever I want. So then he discovered bacon and God said that was okay. But when he was among the Jews, he was not going to eat bacon or request bacon because you know what they would have done? They would have kicked him out of their homes. When he was with the Gentiles, if they put bacon in front of him, Paul wasn't going to say, you know, not a fan, and I'm not going to eat it. Instead, he'd just eat it. Because what Paul is saying is, I am going to prevent any stumbling block based on my rights or based on who I am because I do not want to flaunt the gospel. Instead, I want to help others see and experience the truth of the gospel. And so my personal rights, the things that I am free to do on my own, I am willing to sacrifice in order that, that some might be saved, that some might be one to Christ. You'll note he says some. I think it's such a, he says, oh, if you just go back, I, in order to, he, he, uses, uh, he uses the word all quite a bit. I, not here, I need to just move past that. But um, he, he, he points out this idea and then he says some. And some is almost a disappointing word because shouldn't he say that I might save all But Paul knows that not all are going to respond. And even though not all are going to respond, he is going to live this way even if only one person responds. Because he wants those, that's the purpose of all of this. The purpose of this is not for Paul to live out his freedom in this life. The purpose is for Paul to willingly sacrifice who he is so that others will hear the message of the gospel and respond to it. He goes on, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, in a couple weeks, um, we're going to talk about the resurrection. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, there's kind of a, a pre-echo here where, where Paul's going to go very hard on, on what the end times look like, what the resurrection looks like. I'm not going to touch the word disqualified today because Paul is not here focused on it. He's pointing to something to come. But at the same time, Paul is saying, like, when he talks about I discipline my body, he is saying, I have rights in Christ to live in a completely different way that I do, but because of what Christ did, I discipline my body and follow his example. The way, that, the way that Christ live, I imitate. Because I do not want anything I do to be a stumbling block for someone else. He goes on in chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And then he keeps talking for a while. Adam read it. I'm going to go through this really fast. Paul basically says, remember our fathers, and he's talking about the people of God that, that were in Israel or the, in Egypt, and, and God redeemed them. And Pharaoh, and Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Eventually Pharaoh did, and so then they go out. Um, if you want to know more about 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through like 11, just read Exodus through Numbers. Um, it'll sum it up. But his main focus in that passage is not to give you these deep insights from the Old Testament. What he wants to point out is that in these passages, we'll, we'll see it here, now these things happened as examples for us. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of a- the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone think, who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 10, Paul points out that the, their, their fathers, the, the, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, after God had done all these amazing things, he bought his people with a price at the Passover, and as they crossed through the Red Sea, they were baptized into God's family as, as the followers of Moses, but ultimately God. They were to be a nation of priests. They were given manna from heaven. They were given a purified water to drink, and then, and then like the water that came out of the rock. There's this picture that, that develops there that we're supposed to see an echo of today when we read Exodus through Numbers. And, and what Paul points out is, even when they were in the wilderness, that whole generation of adults that passed through, none of them walked in the promised land except two. None of them did because they fell away to temptation. Even seeing all these glorious things God did, they fell and what did they fall to? Well, we know the story of the golden calf. It's mentioned in the passage, they, they sat down, they ate and drank and they played. They, they worshipped the idol, the golden calf, instead of the God who moved them out of Egypt. And, and then we know that there was major sexual immorality among them and that they were celebrating until God put a stop to it and many of them fell that day. And, and, and we know that many of them doubted God and his goodness. And, and, and so because of that, uh, the serpents came and there's this whole thing. But they doubted that God could do what God said he could do. And ultimately, as they stood on the Jordan and heard the reports about the people in the promised land, they heard about these giant men and decided, you know what, God can't, God can't help us there. And so they denied the promises of God and they were disqualified from entering the promised land. And... and Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, those same sins that they faced, those same sins that they faced, what did we talk about in chapters 5 and 6? Well, we 
talk quite a bit about sexual immorality. What did we talk about in 1 through 4? We talked about divisions and a lack of unity that's caused by not really following after God and, and kind of doubting the authority of the Spirit and just kind of living inside a worldly wisdom and, and polishing them. And now we're dealing with idolatry. Well, why are we dealing with idolatry? It's because you guys don't think it's a problem? That's weird. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, in light of everything we have read so far, this verse is a fascinating verse. It gets taken out of context all the time. But this idea of temptation is talking about fighting and and living for my own rights versus living for a larger picture. And and that's what Paul wants us to see here is like, you may be tempted to live by your own rights, but me, I was willing to set all my rights aside to make sure that some would be one to the gospel. And so when you're tempted to go live the way that you want to live and, and tempted to ignore our responsibility as Christians, then what I want you to hear, Corinthian church, what I want you to hear is that God does not, uh, that, like you don't have new temptation. The whole Old Testament paints the picture. All of the things you're struggling with, these are not insane new things that no one else has ever had to deal with. Through the Holy Spirit, you should be able to endure and move past these temptations. This is nothing new. You're called to live in a different way, and yet you're falling to these temptations, and you're living in this way where you're like denying that, that, that you don't even see the problem. And I want to show you, you, when he said, like the idea here, when we read the next verse, if we remember what we've read so far, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Remember in chapter 8 when Paul says, you know, if, if some with lesser knowledge or if they have weak conscience, if, if they see you, they may fall. But it's, it's, we know the idols aren't real. Now Paul says, no, 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 flee from idolatry. He's, he's directly contradicting what he said earlier, but he's not. He's not. But now to these entitled Christians who are living for themselves, who are worried about their own rights, he tells them, you have missed this picture so bad that we've got to come to this point. Flee from idolatry. And I speak as to sensible people. You have knowledge. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Let me just logic you here. When, when we're together, this, this whole section, the cup of blessing, the participation in the blood of Christ, the, the cup, that's, it's communion. He says when we get together, we, we, you know, in remembrance of Jesus, we do communion. Right? We do that when we're together as one body. We participate together to remember what Christ has done for us. And, and consider even in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, when, when they would offer sacrifices to the Lord, those who ate were participants in the altar. And so now Paul says, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Because earlier I said they're not. Am I implying the opposite now? No. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they are offering to demons and not to God. Oh, you with knowledge that idols aren't real who sit at the table of demons in your entitlement. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The first time strength is mentioned in this passage, 
Paul is saying, you're looking at the weaker brothers and sisters as you sit at a table where those around you are worshiping demons and you're judging those (laughs) that are weaker than you in their conscience and, and you're frustrated that they're keeping you from your rights. Are you stronger than God? Are you going to provoke him to jealousy just because you can in Christ? All things are lawful. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And now here's where it lands. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, now church... Earlier, Paul's talking about your brother or sister in Christ in the temple. And, and, and for an entitled Christian that's worried about their own rights, what matters to them in that moment, what matters to them is that moment is, are my rights being stepped on? Are they being impeded? Is someone not allowing me to do what I am allowed to do in Christ? And Paul says, you're so worried about your inter-church relationships that you're not even thinking about the person at that temple, who knows that you're a Christian and you are walking among them and you are living in a way that tells them it is okay for me to worship demons. You don't even care about your neighbor. You care about your rights inside these four walls. You care about your rights in the church. And you have missed the bigger idea that you are out among people that when they see you doing that, not brothers or sisters, but people who are outside the body, you are validating their worldview and allowing them to stay far from the cross. And so even though he started with it's okay to eat this food, it's incomplete. And he moves on and says food sacrifice to idols is food sacrifice to demons. Don't you see that? As long as you claim Christ, you cannot partake of this food because your example will lead your neighbor away from Christ. And your neighbor could be your brother or sister in the church who's a believer. But it's also all the people that congregate in that temple to worship idols and to worship demons. If you have a right view on your rights in Christ, if you have a righteous understanding of what that is, then what should come out of that is an understanding that you have to willingly set aside your rights. Now, there's a really good example in the Bible of someone who set aside their rights for the betterment of others. Jesus. Good, good. I I thought someone might yell it out um, in Sunday school. That's the answer every time. But in this case, it really is the answer. You think about the God of heaven, the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who from before time even existed and had unchanging perfection, the Son comes down to live among us and and goes from perfection and and goes from from just everything perfect and, and, and comes to this earth and experiences cold and suffering and pain. He lived as an exile. He was hated among his own people. He he spent part of his life in Africa and Egypt because Herod was trying to kill him. He lived a very, very hard life. And at the end, right before he was crucified in a garden, he prayed, Lord, if I had my way, please, but if there's no other way, Lord, I set aside my rights for them for every single person I will ever meet. Paul concludes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And what he's saying here is, so whenever you exercise your rights, this isn't 
I can do anything I want as long as I do it for the glory of God. It's when I choose how to live within my rights, in my living in a way, in all that I do, whether I'm eating or drinking or anything else that I do, am I living in a way that will point others to Christ? Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. I willingly sacrifice I am to point others to Christ. Do you do that? Because that's, that's the point of this whole passage. Do you do that? Paul ends with the, this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And what Paul means by that is, I willingly make myself less. I willingly diminish my rights. I do not live as one who is entitled. I do not live for my freedom, but I willingly set it aside that others might hear the message of Christ, that others might respond, that some others might be one to the gospel through the way that I live. And so, church, the evidence that you are not an entitled Christian is not in comparison in this building. It's not in how others perceive you inside this church. It's in how will you go out and declare who God is to everyone you meet, setting aside your rights that they might hear the gospel message. And some of you may say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And you don't need to have the gift of evangelism to do this because what Paul is talking about is I'm going to live for others. And, and, and so, so when I'm among others, I'm going to live in a way, I'm going to point them to Christ to the best of my ability. And that's not always going to be to say you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Make a choice. That's going to be in how you intentionally live and love on others. It's going to be in the way that you tell them about things God is doing in your life. It's going to be about intentionally living and explicitly living in a way that when others notice what you sacrifice, what you don't do, they look at that and they say, there's something different about you. Why? And when they say that, why? You tell them. You declare to them the gospel message. It's living inside our freedom in a way where just like Paul, we become servants to all because we want others to hear this message and grow in their knowledge of Christ. It's about living in a way, not judging others on the outside, but instead breaking down barriers so that they can hear the gospel message. The gospel message will offend. That's why Paul says some. There are going to be people who hear the gospel message. I, after the first service, someone came up and mentioned to me, well, remember when Jesus says, you're going to have to eat my body and my blood to the Jews? And they were about ready to kill him? <laughs> the gospel message is offensive. But in our life, is that the thing that's the barrier? If it's anything else, then maybe we're not living inside of our rights the way we need to be. Maybe we're holding ourselves up rather than Christ. That's, as, as we come to the end of the day, that's my challenge for you. Do you let your rights be a barrier to sharing the gospel message with others? And do you think when you leave these walls, because it's not just about do I cause other brothers or sisters in Christ to stumble, do you know what the saddest part about 1 Corinthians 8 is in the Corinthian church? That there was a group of believers in the Corinthian church who were worried about how they were perceived among other Christians when they left the church instead of worrying about how in their community they're pointing people to the gospel and pointing people to Christ. If I, if I can beg you to do anything, it's to think about, do I live in a way that points people explicitly to Christ? Because if you don't, you are an entitled Christian. And that's hard to hear. It's hard to stomach that. I, as I prepared this message, I was like, this is not nearly as fun as I thought it was going to be. But church, what I want to tell you 
is that if we are becoming imitators of Paul, the way Paul imitates Christ, therefore we're becoming imitators of Christ. The starting point of that is our willingness to set aside our rights to make sure that people hear the good news about who Jesus is and to make sure we are living in a way where we are not putting up barriers by how we choose to live, but instead we intentionally live to point others to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for just what your son did in in sacrificing so much for us, sacrificing everything for us. And we thank you that, that not just him, but those who follow him were invited into the same ministry that he did. And, and we pray, Lord, that we would be those who follow after you in that same way. Lord, we pray that where we care more about our rights than proclaiming your word, Lord, break us of that. Help us to live as those who follow you well. Help us to not be foolish. Help us to not think more of ourselves than of you and your son. Lord, we pray that others would come to know Christ through the way that we live, through what we sacrifice willingly so that others can hear your message. Lord, we thank you for just how good you are. We thank you that we have so much freedom in you, and we thank you that you allow us to participate in your gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen.